0: went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them again, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah, and he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes be killed and rise after three days. He was openly talking about this. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Summoning the crowd, along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good evening. Nice to see you all. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. You've joined us uh, at the beginning of a new series in Ecclesiastes. Hopefully you've got this booklet in your hand. If you haven't got a booklet, just keep your hand raised and someone will bring it to you. What a great job by the the welcome team. That's awesome. Uh, And your Bible is on page uh, 607. But before we have that read, I thought I'd just do a a brief uh, overview. I want to begin by... Um, asking whether you've ever asked the question, uh, what is the point of it all? Yep. What, what are we here for? Why are we here? Who are we? Why do we get up in the morning? What's the purpose of living? ever asked those deep questions of life? I t- take your work. Why do you work? What's the point of your work? You work longer and longer and longer hours. But there's still more work to do, isn't there? And then you retire, and then someone comes after you, and within two months, they've undone all the hard work that you spent your entire life working for. What's the point of that? Do you think about relationships? Hundreds of friends on Facebook. Your contact list, your address book, it's full of of so-called friendships. People that you rarely see. I've got got all these friends in life, so why am I still lonely? What's the point of that? And you spend your money, your your hard-earned money, and you buy the latest gadget. You think, "Wow, this gadget's going to change my life," but it doesn't. In two years' time, that gadget is by the side of the road for the council clean-up. I know holidays. I love travel. Let, let's tick off my bucket list. You know, travel the world and have the great experiences. And so you travel the world and you've got a truckload of photographs on your computer that you never look at. You think, well, what was the point of that? Am I the only person who ever thinks like that? If you do think like that, uh, you are I- in touch with the writer to Ecclesiastes because that's what he is thinking like. There's little book in the Old Testament in the wisdom literature, uh, we, we call this series Refreshingly Real. Refreshingly Real, because that's what this book is like. I, it's not pessimistic. It's not depressing at all. It's not overly optimistic. It's just realistic. It's been described perfectly as a boiled lolly or a boiled sweet. You know, you, know you get a boiled lolly and you put you pop it in your mouth and it's hard to bite into. That's Ecclesiastes. It's really hard. It's difficult. It's got riddles and scattered arguments. It's hard to understand. But like a lolly that you roll around in your mouth, and as your tongue rolls over it, you discover new, beautiful flavors in that lolly. That's Ecclesiastes. As you roll it around over your tongue, you discover these gems about life. It's unsettling, though. What Ecclesiastes is going to do for you and for me, it's going to take those those pillars that you build your life on, your work, your wealth, your friendships, your family, your health, your education, your wisdom, and one by one by one, it's going to say that they're good things, but they've got cracks in them. Don't build your life on those things alone. I find it quite an irritating book, you know, Because the the writer to Ecclesiastes, he just points out what life is like. And you kind of go, yeah, that is right. But he doesn't give you much of an answer. But he does actually write at the end. It's irritating, it's mesmerizing, but it's it's totally realistic. He's going to look at your time, your money. Your education, your work, your friendships, and life and death. And say, as you live in this fabulous world, are you realistic about those things? It's written by a man who calls himself the teacher in verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And we, we don't know who that is. Traditionally, it's taken to be Solomon, you know, the wisest, wealthiest, grandest king in Israel. But more recently, it's kind of suggested that a kind of a super Solomon, someone looking at the world through the, the lens, through the spectacle of Solomon. We, we don't know. It doesn't really matter. Why was it written? It's all about the meaning of life. Uh, the, the title, Ecclesiastes. Anyone know what the word ecclesia means? Anybody? It's a Greek word for church. Ecclesia means a gathering means the church. It's just this, this wise man who has spent years pondering life, presenting his findings to the church, to the assembly. And the project was, what is the meaning of life? How can I make sense of this life? So how do you read it? There's a true story of a, of a lady in the U.S. Who, who couldn't cope watching the news. So she decided the only channel she was going to watch was the Disney Channel. And I think sometimes we live lives like that, don't we? The the, the hard things in life that we don't want to face up to, we can't really confront. Let's, Let's bury our head in the sand. Let's pretend it's not happening. Well, Ecclesiastes kind of rubs your noses into the messiness of this world. It confronts you with the reality of an unpredictable, confronting, confusing, chaotic world. And it shines some meaning into it. You've got to grapple with Ecclesiastes. And, and please don't say to me, well, Paul, you know, Ecclesiastes is an Old Testament book. We've got Jesus today. Now, that is right. Of course we've got Jesus. And Jesus does change everything, doesn't it? And Jesus gives you your identity and your purpose and your meaning, your forgiveness. Uh, it gives you the, the certainty of life beyond death. But let's be realistic. Just because you've got Jesus doesn't lift you out of the messiness and the mundaneness of this world, does it? We still live in this messy, mundane world with Jesus, don't we? So please don't do that kind of, that Christian escape artist thing and say, we've got Jesus, it's all okay. Because it's not okay. We still live in this messy world and we need to have meaning and hope and significance. So I'm excited to preach Refreshingly Real, the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to pray, and after I've prayed, I'm going to invite Brittany, who's a member of our 945 church, to come and just just present chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and pray that as it's read and explained, that you would pierce our hearts, and minds, and our souls, that we would know you, we'd love you, we'd have a, a deep sense of the goodness of this world and what it means to live with you as our Lord and our Saviour. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. This is Brittany. Absolute
2: futility. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, Yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place and they flow there again. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Can one say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in the ages before us. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. There is no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them.
1: You imagine being there when that was first read. How are you feeling? I hope you're not saying, wow, that's depressing. I hope you're thinking, that is right, you know. I think Delamitri in 1989, with their song Nothing Ever Happens, summed it up well. Billboardings advertise products that nobody needs, while Angry from Manchester writes to complain about the repeats on TV. Computers report some gains on the value of copper and tin, while American businessmen snap at Van Gogh for the price of a hospital wing. Nothing ever happens. Nothing happens at all. The needle returns to the start of the song, we all sing along like before. And I I love that song. It's like saying, This world, our lives are just repetitive and they are boring and they're just the same thing day after day after day after day. Let's think about our last week. You get up, you get dressed, you have your breakfast, you brush your teeth, you go to work, you do some exercise, you eat some food. You brush your teeth again, you get undressed, and you go to bed, and you get up, and you get dressed, and you have some breakfast, and you brush your teeth, and you go to work, do some exercise, you come home, you eat, you brush your teeth again, you get undressed, and you go to bed again, and again, and again, and again, and again. You think, what's the point of this? Is that what life's about? Uh, the question in verse 3 is spot on. What does a person gain? What do we benefit? What do we achieve? For all our efforts, all our labor, all our work here on earth under the sun. That, that phrase, under the sun, it, it's not life without God. It's not the atheistic viewpoint. It's saying it's life here on earth, viewed from ground level. What's it all about? Anyone seen the the movie about Schmidt? It's about the life of uh, Warren Schmidt, who earned a fortune. Uh, After his retirement, he wrote a letter to his sponsor child in Africa. He said this. "I, I know we're all pretty small in the big scheme of things. I suppose the most you can hope for is to make some kind of difference in this world. But what kind of difference have I made? What in the world is better because of me having been here? Once I'm dead and everyone who knew me dies as well, it'll be, a, it'll be as though I never existed. What difference has my life made to anyone? None that I can think of. None at all. I hope things are fine, fine with you. Yours truly, Warren Schmidt. <laughs> and that's not depressing. That's just realistic. Uh, the motto of Ecclesiastes is in verse 2, absolutely futile, futility, futility, absolutely futile. Everything is futile. And that word comes 38 times in a letter. It's an enigmatic word, deliberately so. What does that word mean? Well, The, the Hebrew word is actually hevel, really hard to translate. Uh, the NIV says meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. I, I think that's too negative. You might have heard vanity or vanity. Everything is vain. What does that mean? The word literally means vapor or smoke. I think it's a, a much better translation: Vapor, vapor, everything is vapor. You ever been to a, 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 a bonfire and you've seen the smoke? You try and grab hold of the smoke. What have you got? Nothing. You're running tomorrow morning. It's a cold morning. You, you see your, your your breath. You try and grab hold of your breath. What have you got? Nothing. And the thing about smoke and the thing about vapour is that it is temporary. It is transient. It's here one minute. It's gone the next. Please don't try and build things out of smoke because it's like substance-less. And that's what the, the, the writer is saying. He's saying that remember that The things in this life are fleeting. Don't try and find your identity and your meaning and your purpose and your satisfaction in the vapor things of this world. Like like work and and wealth and possessions and health and all that stuff. that's here one minute and it's gone the next. It doesn't truly satisfy. Everything is just like a vapor. So my first point tonight is this. The treadmill called life. The treadmill called life. There's nothing new under the sun. Let me confess right now, I, I hate treadmills. Who invented the treadmill? What a stupid invention. A bit of rubber that goes round and round and round, and you pay good money to to join a gym to stand there on this bit of rubber that goes round and round and round. You could be outside. You could be running by the harbor with the fresh air, with the beautiful scenery, but you choose to spend money on to to run on a bit of rubber. It's ridiculous. But like a treadmill, the world goes round and round and round and round, and nothing changes. He says nature doesn't change. Verse 5. The sun rises... And then the sun sets. And panting, because it's done some work, it returns to its place where it rises again. It rises, it sets, it rises, it sets, it rises, it sets. Doesn't doesn't the sun want to break out and say, hang on a minute, I think tomorrow I'll rise in a different place and we'll have a 20-hour day. Of course it doesn't. Just the nature goes round and round and round, the circle of life. Uh, The winds of verse 6, they... They they blow to the north, then to the south, and doesn't the wind get bored of blowing? No, because that's just life. Or the seas of verse 7, they all the stream flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. Can you imagine going down to the harbour tonight and it says a sign saying, harbor full, no more water, please? That doesn't happen because you know, the way that nature works is that the water runs into the sea, gets sucked up into the cloud. Raised back down again, round and round and round it goes. And the point is that just like nature, just like our lives, just as nature goes round and round and round and round, so do our lives. That's why it says in verse 8 all these things are, are wearisome, exhausting. We do so much, but we get nowhere. I haven't really ever been on those tourist buses that go up to the Blue Mountains. I had the misfortune about 20 years ago of going on one. And so you hop on in Sydney, and it drives up the mountains, and you hop off at a stop somewhere, and you hop off the bus, you get back on the bus, It drives up to the Blue Mountains, and we all get off the bus with our cameras, we take the, the three sisters, and we get back on the bus, and we go to Laura for afternoon tea, we get back on the bus, and we drive back to Sydney. You think, what was the point of that? And can you imagine sort of if that's viewed up from uh, up above? It's like this little ants. They travel on this thing and they get off and they scuttle around. They get back on the bus and they scuttle around again and back on the bus. And you say, that is like your life. Viewed from above. If you've ever been to a funeral, you know, it's a bit like your your slideshow of your life. What did you achieve? What was the point of it? You hear one, minute, you go on the next. Let's take a a, a few things. So so verse 8, let's take your experiences The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Think about the movies that you've watched. You watch an awesome movie and then another movie and then another movie and then another movie. And and they keep making more movies, don't they? Why do they do that? We've got enough movies, haven't we? You could spend the rest of your life watching old movies. Take music, your your ears. We've got enough music listen to for the next 100 years but they keep making new songs maybe I'm the only person here but I was at home one night this week and I it was late at night and so I, I flicked on the TV and I got my, my remote control, I was flicking between the channels as blokes tend to do and after about 20 minutes I was like oh there's nothing on TV and so I grabbed the the Apple TV remote and so I went onto Netflix and so I flicked through Netflix for a while and I went oh there's nothing on Netflix either I said, oh, Apple TV, I could look at the previews of all these movies I could watch on Apple TV. And so I sat for about an hour looking at previews of Apple TV. And I thought, well, there's nothing on. I thought, I oh, know, I can go on to iView, I can watch old episodes of ABC stuff. And after about two hours, I thought, this is ridiculous, there's nothing on TV, so I went to bed. <laughs> now, what was the point of that? Let's, let's think about your progress, the new inventions. I know we've got some entrepreneurs here at at Church by the Bridge. These great new inventions are going to change the world. Look at verse 9. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new? No. It's already existed in the ages before us. Well, that's not right, is it? This is 2017. We've got Facebook. We've got FaceTime. And they're all new, aren't they? Not really. It's just another way of communicating. You know, 30 years ago, you picked up the phone and talked to people. Or you or you wrote a letter. Today, you just grab your phone and you FaceTime someone on the other side of the world. It's just another form of communication. I, I got really excited on Thursday this week because I got an email Telling me that they'd, they'd released Things version 3, which is my to-do app on my phone. And so I forked out 12 bucks for a new to-do app. And I spent about two hours playing around my new to-do app, thinking this is gonna change my world. Now, I've tried Omnifocus and I've tried Wonderlist and I've tried to doodle and I've tried Google List and I've tried every to-do app. But this Things 3 is gonna change my world. It's Sunday. This is quite good, a pen (laughs) and a paper to write down my to-do list. Uh, Apparently, in the Apple stores, this is all the rage now, they've gone back to pen and paper, not the apps. And just in case you're one of the few here who's not depressed, look at verse 11. (laughs) There is no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. He's saying our measly lives are just like billions of other measly lives. We're here for a few, few years and we come and we go. And in a hundred years' time, no one will even remember us. I, I wrote this sermon on Thursday here in church. And I was a bit obsessed with these, with, these, with these plaques. I was thinking, who is William Henry? Who is this guy here? Does anybody in Sydney remember him? Does anyone come and visit him and look at his plaque? Who are these rectors here on this list here? My name will go up there, but I can guarantee in a hundred years' time, nobody will remember me. Let me me give you a, a quick quiz. For those who are really sporty here, who remembers Bill Kirby and Debbie Watson? Anyone heard of them? They won gold medals at Sydney Olympic in the year 2000. Pinnacle of their career. 17 years later, never heard of them. Okay, John Watson. Politicians out there, John Watson, raise your hand if you've heard of him. He was a Prime Minister. He's a Prime Minister of Australia. He's got statues here in Sydney after him. We've never heard of him. Okay, raise your hand here if you can name, by name, and their profession, your great-great-grandfather. Anybody? One or two? Your great-great-grandparents, you can't remember them. I applied for permanent residence a few years ago and now citizenship. Uh, on the form, you have to put in the names of your grandparents and their date of birth. I didn't have a clue. My grandparents. Uh, my dad died 27 years ago, and his parents had died before he married my mother. So I, I picked up my phone to my mum and said, Mum, what, what was the name of dad's parents? And she went, I haven't got a clue. And so I had to phone. Or, or contact the birth, marriage, and death to find the names of my own grandparents. That is not unusual. I'm not being depressing. I'm just being realistic. You know, We think we're going to leave a legacy, and we can do great things here on this earth. Um, don't get me wrong. We can do wonderful things here. Ecclesiastes is going to teach you, when it comes to your work, enjoy it. Work hard Make a difference, but please don't think that you're going to change the world uh, and leave this great legacy. Don't build your identity on your work. Please, that is ridiculous. When it comes to your wisdom, you're sure you can get loads of degrees. It's a good thing to have knowledge, but please don't think all that knowledge is going to make you this superhero. When it, when it comes to your wealth, enjoy your wealth, love your wealth, enjoy your possessions, enjoy it, but please don't find your security and your identity in it. And for all those out there who think you're going to be the person who's going to lock this world and be remembered, there might be one or two of us. But most of us, we live our years, we make a small difference, and then we die, and others come after us. So how are you feeling? Just realistic. James 4 verse 14, what is your life? Your life is but a vapor or a mist. We're here one day and we're gone the next. So what's the answer? How are we' supposed to seek some meaning in this world? Just flick over to chapter twelve right at the end of the book. It kind of bookends the whole letter. And the teacher's saying, "Please don't settle for vanity, please don't settle for, for futility. Just be realistic. There is purpose. There is meaning. There is a point to this world. 12 verse 8. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. Good on him. The sayings of the wise are like goads, that's a pointy stick to prod you in the right direction. And those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. Sometimes that hurts. The sayings are given by one shepherd, the good shepherd, by God himself. But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books and much study wearies the body. That is true. So, verse 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. This is what life is about. Fear God and keep his commands. Fear God, honor God, revere God, and do what he says. Because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act of judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. As you look look at life under the sun... Just remember there's two simple things. Fear God in this world and keep his command. Fear God just means to revere God, to respect God, to don't, don't answer God back. Just trust him and obey him. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember that there is a God who who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who provides for you, who cares for you. Bring God into your life. And do that before you get old. Because as you get older, you become more self-centered and more cynical and more self-reliant and more self-pitying. So remember there is a God and fear him. He gives you your wealth. He gives you your health. He gives you your strength. So trust him and fear him. And then verse 13, keep his commands. Take the scriptures, the greatest book ever written, and look at life through the lens of this. Don't don't sit over it and judge it. Sit under it and let it judge you. Let, Let the word of God unpack life. Let the word of God give you significance and meaning to say, yeah, that's why that happens in the world. And when you do that, it is totally liberating. You think on the last day when you stand before your maker, he's going to say, Paul, you know, that fourth Ironman that you ran, you didn't quite do so well, did you? Of course not. He's going to say, you know, you know, Paul, you know, that house renovations, the kitchen wasn't quite right, was it? He's going to say, Paul, did you love me? Did you live your life fearing me and honoring me and respecting me? And Did you love other people well? Did you, did you read my word and say this is how to live my life on this earth? That's what God cares about, and I found that liberating. Let me just show you how it works. Just some live examples. Uh, last night, Rachel and I and Toby watched the film Lion. You seen that film? Harrowing about the boy in India who's adopted by this Australian couple and uses Google Earth to find his Earth parents again. Extraordinary film. At the end of that film, on the screen, true story, comes up with this stat, you know, every year 80,000 children are, are lost in India. So what do you do with that? How do you make sense of that? What idea? We didn't say, "Oh, that was an awesome movie." And you know acting was amazing, and three Oscars, and you know great directing and great cinematography. Well, we just went upstairs and we just prayed. We said, "God, you, you made this world, and you know every child in this world, and there's 80,000 kids in India, 80,000 kids every year. Lord, have mercy." Lord, stop the child sex trafficking in India right now. Lord, provide homes for the kids in need in India. Just bring God into the picture. You fear God and you keep his word and say, you made these, you love these, please do something about it, God. Take your work tomorrow. You wake up tomorrow, you go to work, and your boss says, can you do this task? You're thinking, not really, I don't want to do that. No, you fear God and you say, Okay. How can I do this to the best of my ability? How can I honour God in my workplace tomorrow? How can I make a little bit of difference tomorrow? I spent some time this week here in in church doing really boring, mundane, dull tasks. And part of me was going, why am I doing this? I'm doing this so that we tonight, have words on the screen to sing songs to, to honor our Savior, and we have chairs to sit on to honor our Savior. Now, you find meaning in the small things of life, because you're loving God, and you are wanting to serve Him. Take your money. You know, back to the end of the tax year, you get your tax return. What do you do with that? You fear God, and you keep His commands. Say, God, this is your money. Thank you for this. How can I honor you and serve you with, with this unexpected tax return? There's little examples. And see how liberating it is? Y- you start running this, this, this rat race thinking, I've got to have meaning. I've got to have purpose. I've got to have significance in my, my work and my education and my family and my friends. And If this fails me, I'm going to have no purpose in life. It's totally refreshing. Life will be mundane at times. That's okay. You know that phrase, day in, day out? That's just life. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Know God in it. Love him well. Love other people well. Because with God in your life, there is meaning and there is purpose and there is significance. And in this messiness and chaos and mundaneness, you go, yep, God, thank you you're here. Thank you I get to serve you and to love you. Help me to fear you and to keep your commands. Let me pray. I'm going to pray this prayer from an old guy called William Lord. He wrote this. Grant, O Lord, that we may live in thy fear. Die in thy favour, rest in thy peace, rise in thy power, and reign in thy glory. For thine own beloved Son's sake, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour.